We're going to continue our study uh, as we've been going through Christianity 101, going through the book of Judges, specifically looking at the life of Gideon. <clears throat> Gideon today is uh, going to finally catch up to the remnant of the kings of Midian. God has defeated the army of Midian. They've been running, and Gideon is now on his way, chasing them down, and he's going to finally catch up to them. But we're going to see a few more roadblocks uh, as Gideon tries to do the will of God and tries to uh, complete the task that God has given him. So if you would, Judges chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse number 4 today. Excuse me. Judges chapter 8 and verse number 4. And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over, and he and the 300 men that were with him faint, faint, faint yet pursuing them. And he said unto the men of Succoth, Give, I pray you, loaves of bread unto the people that follow me, for they be faint, and I am pursuing after Zeba and Zalmunna, kings of Midian. And the princes of Succoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in thine hand, that we should give bread unto thine army? And Gideon said, Therefore, when the Lord hath delivered Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand, I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. <clears throat> and he went up thence to Penuel, and spake unto them likewise. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth and had answered him. And he spake also unto the men of Penuel, saying, When I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. Now Zeba and Zalmunna were in Karkor, and their hosts with them, about 15,000 men, all that were left of all the host of the children of the east. For there fell an hundred and twenty thousand men that drew sword. And Gideon went up by the way of them that dwelt in tents in the east of Noba and Jogba, <coughs> sorry, Jogbaha, and smote the host, for the host was secure. And when Zeba and Zalmunna fled, he pursued after them, and the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmunna, and discomforted all the host. And Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from the battle before the sun was up. And he caught a young man of Succoth, of the men of Succoth, and inquired of him. And he described unto him the princes of Succoth, and the elders thereof, even threescore and seventy men, seventeen men, sorry. And he came unto the men of Succoth, and said, Behold, Ziba and Zalmunna, with whom ye did abrade me, saying, Are the hands of Ziba and Zalmunna now in thine hand, that we should give bread unto thy men that are weary? And he took the elders of the city, and with thorns with, of the wilderness, and briars, and with them he taught the men of Succoth. And he beat down the tower of Penuel, and slew the men of the city. Then said unto Z- then he s- <clears throat> then said he unto Ziba and Zalmunna, What manner of men were they whom he slew at Tabor? And they answered, As thou art, so were they. Each man or each one resembled the children of a king. And he said, They were my brethren, even the sons of my mother, as the Lord liveth. If ye had saved them alive, I would not slay you. And he said unto Jethro his firstborn, Up and slay them. But the youth drew not his sword, for he feared, because he was yet a youth. Then Ziba and Zalmunna said, Rise thou and fall upon us, for as the man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and slew Ziba and Zalmunna and took away the ornaments that were on their camels' necks. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for this wonderful day, this opportunity to gather here to hear your truth. Lord, we thank you for the truth we've already heard this weekend. But Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray that you would strengthen us, that you would encourage us, that you would show us uh, something in our lives. Search us, show us uh, where we need to change, where we need to grow. And Lord, that you would help us to grow in that way. Lord, that we would be 
the bold and effective witness that we need to be for you, Lord, that we would be men and women willing to serve you no matter what, without fear, without doubt. Lord, that we would be faithful men. So God, please work in us today. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Gideon's troubles are not uh, going away. He is still striving very hard to finish what God has set him off on, the, the path that God has set him off on. God had uh, gathered all the men and <clears throat> Gideon in his 300. He's, he's pared it down from 35,000 men down to 300 men. And they're still pursuing G Zeba and Zalmanah. And they have to cross the Jordan River during this pursuit, understanding that they're still in Israel. They've not, Zeba and Zalmanah have not fled outside of Israel. They have not gone outside of the territory, the promised land that God had given Israel, they are still right in the middle of Israel. But as they cross the river, they, they come to the city of Succoth, and at Succoth they seek help from the, the men there. Again, children of Israel, children of the tribe of Gad, their own brethren, that refuse to give them help. They're fearful because Zeba and Zalmunna are still out there even though Gideon has, has them on the run. They're defeated. It's already happened. It's, it's a foregone conclusion as we looked at before. God said, I have delivered. It's already taken care of. But the men of Gad, the men of, of Succoth, are still so much afraid of Zebul and Zalmunna that they refuse to help Gideon. So Gideon gathers his men and he continues on. And he comes again uh, to Penuel. And Penuel, he gets the same answer from Penuel. Uh, again, this evil and wicked Midian has so much control that the men just cannot see God's face. He, they cannot understand that God is right in the middle of answering their prayers and all they have to do is trust him and follow him but they refuse. Gideon in both cities promises some things. He's a lot less diplomatic than he was when he dealt with Ephraim that we looked at last week. Remember Ephraim had come and helped and blocked off the passage, passages of the river and had brought the, the princes of Succa or of uh, <clears throat> sorry, the princes of Midian and slayed them and brought their heads to Gideon and, and then but then they began to argue. They began to chide with Gideon, saying, Well, why didn't you call us? Well, why didn't you just come when you knew we were in trouble? Gideon was very diplomatic there. He, he smoothed their ego over. He, he didn't uh, cause a stir. Here, he just plainly says to the men of Succoth, uh, because you've done this, I'm going to tear you with the briars and the thorns of the wilderness. And Penuel, he says, because you haven't helped us, I'm going to tear down your tower. I'm going to destroy your people because you've refused to help us, because you've refused to step up when God has needed your help, when not that God needs our help, but when God has needed and desired for you to do something, you've refused to step up. And it's not like Gideon is asking them to come fight. Gideon's not saying, come with us so that we can go against 15,000 men and destroy them. Gideon's saying, give us bread, give us water, give us provisions. It's amazing 
how people are so unwilling to do even the smallest things for each other these days. Without some kind of compensation. But Gideon continues on. He has a job to do. He has a task to finish. And he continues on and he finds Zeba and Zalmona. They're hiding in Karkor. Again, this is a place that still belongs to Israel. This, this is a place that is inhabited by the nation of Israel. And Zeba and Zalmona have gotten there and they're, the Bible tells us in verse number Verse number 11. That Gideon went up by the way that dwelt, <clears throat> by the way of them that dwelt in tents on the east of Nabal and Jogbaha and smote the host, for the host was secure. They felt safe here. Zeba and Zalmunna, as they're fleeing from Gideon, they're fleeing from God's wrath, they felt safe here. They felt safe right in the middle of the people that they had been terrorizing for so long, for seven years. We also find out here that Zeba and Zalmona still have 15,000 men with them. Now, 15,000 men against 300 is astronomical odds. But when you continue on and realize that there were 120,000 that have already been killed, you see just how big God's power is. God didn't tell us that in the beginning as Gideon blows the trumpet and gathers the army and he gets his 35,000 men and God says, these are still, these are too many. 35,000 against 135,000 and that's too many. And then 22,000 go away and you have 10,000 left and 10,000 against 135,000 is too many. And God gets it all the way down to 300. Just for these 15,000 men, <clears throat> Gideon is going to go and fight with his 300 men. And just to completely destroy these 15,000 men, that means every one of his 300 men has to kill 50 men themselves. 50. This isn't uh, Call of Duty. This isn't Hollywood magic. This is swords and spears and shields, hand-to-hand -hand combat. They have to kill 50 men to wipe out this army. It's not a small task. Yet Gideon is now so encouraged by what he's already seen God do. And so the, the men that are with him are so valiant and so brave and so encouraged by what God's done that they just wade right in. Even though they're weak, even though... They're, they're faint because they've been pursuing after them. They've not eaten. They've not drank. They just wade right in. And God delivers them. God is at his best when we are at our weakest. Uh, I was had the blessing of uh, meeting yesterday with several pastors um, at lunch, they had separated, I don't know if they just didn't want us to infect everybody else, but they had separated all the pastors into the nursery, maybe because we needed to have our diapers changed, our feet were getting stepped on too hard. But anyway, I had the blessing of sitting down with a bunch of pastors and, and uh, talking about the church plant and talking about our testimonies. And, 
And uh, as I sat with several of the men, uh, we all had a very similar testimony. Um, Brother Gibson didn't get saved till he was in his 20s. Uh, Brother McCoy was in his 20s. Uh, I was in my 20s. Uh, we were all men who had lived our lives in a way that that we could fix anything. We could do anything. Uh, we didn't need anything else. We just needed us. And God had to bring all of us to the point where we were at our knees completely helpless before he could reach us. Gideon and his men here are weak and tired but this is where God is going to do the greatest miracle. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because uh, we're, there's a difference here. We, we saw the, how the men of Succoth and how the men of Penuel reacted. But there's, there's another one that I want to look at. And Gideon, as he's already captured Ziba and Zalmona, and he's taken back and he's already done his punishment to Succoth and Penuel. We'll get to that here in a minute. <clears throat> he tells his eldest son, Jether, he says, rise up and slay. He gives him the order to rise up and take the life of these two kings of Midian. Yet, the lad refuses. And it says he refuses because he was yet a youth. He was still young. Notice that Gideon doesn't chide him. Gideon doesn't promise punishment for him. There's an answer there that we'll get into here in a minute, but as he's interrogating Zebo and Zamani, he, he asks them, you know, what were the, the manner of the men that thou slew at Tabor? And, and they said they were they were as thou art. They, they are like the sons of kings. It's interesting that Zebo and Zamana equate Gideon's brothers to being the sons of kings when there is no king in Israel. Uh, there hasn't been a king in Israel at this point, but there was something about these men that made them leaders, that made them that made them resemble a king, even though there was no king. And Gideon realizes that these are his very brethren. Again, he says, these are the sons of my mother. Now, we know Gideon's father is still alive. But he doesn't claim them as the sons of his father. He claims them as the sons of his mother. I'm not sure exactly why that is. It's just something that popped out in my head. That It's a rabbit trail that I'll try and chase down later. But Gideon passes judgment on these two men. And, and he commands his eldest son, Jether, to go ahead and, and carry out the judgment. And he refuses but Ziba and Zalmona have something to say here that is just profound. They, as they're facing execution, speak to Gideon and say, Thou rise up and slay us, for as a man is, so is his strength. They're essentially saying that a weak man has no power. Well, duh. I mean, that's really, a weak man has no power. But again, it's in our weakness, in our lack of power, that God is present, that God is glorified. 
Now, Gideon is going to do as they say. He's going to rise up. He's going to take their lives. He's going to finish what God has done for him. But then he's going to make a little bit of misstep that we're going to see uh, next week as we get into finish the rest of the story. Uh, it's going to take him down a very bad path. He's going to take, at this point, all the ornaments off of their camel's necks. This is the first mention of any kind of spoil of war being taken uh, during this battle. Up to this point, uh, there's been no mention of that. Now, th that's a common theme throughout the Bible. As people fight each other, they go in and they take the spoils. They, they take whatever is left of the goods and the, the property. Even in uh, Jericho, when they destroyed Jericho, they took all the gold and the silver and they, gave, they were supposed to give it to God. But of course, uh, Achan messed up and hid it in the tent and the floor of his tent and he ended up uh, being destroyed because of it. But <clears throat> this was common. This was how many places, many kingdoms gained wealth was through battle. So this was not anything out of the ordinary, but this is the first mention of it during this specific event. And it's going to take Gideon down a very bad path. And it's very unfortunate. But let's go back to where we skipped over. <clears throat> the men were fake, faint and weak. They, they were struggling. And here in this bit of interaction between Gideon and the men of Succoth and Gideon and the men of Penuel, we have some prophecy. While the book of Judges isn't seen as a prophetical book, it does contain some foreshadowing of things to come. Uh, Gideon tells the men of Succoth, of course, that he's going he's gonna, to uh, tear them with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. He tells the, the men of Penuel that he's going to break down their tower. This, these are things that, that are prophetic that are answered in a very short time. But there is another overwhelming arc here. As Gideon was chasing the remnant, he came across the two cities of Israel that flat out refused to help because they were fearful. And then his son would not follow through for the same reason. And the final words of the two kings of Midian were, As the man is, so is his strength. If we look back, the 22,000 men that left when Gideon first gathered the army left because of fear. They allowed fear to keep them from serving God. The men of Succoth, the men of Penuel, were weak because of their fear. Fearful men with no faith are weak and will be destroyed. They're in bondage already. But what about Jether? Gideon's eldest son, who would not slay the two kings, says it was he was but a youth. I, I believe he was fearful. He was probably no older than these boys in here. Imagine asking somebody that young to take a life. They would be very hesitant. And I believe that this points to a very key doctrine that we believe is as Baptists that we believe as Bible believers uh, and it's called the age of accountability and this is the idea that there is an age it's different for every person but there is an age where we become accountable for everything that we do and before that age God sees us differently this is why this is where the idea comes from that uh, all of the babies that have ever been aborted 
will be in heaven because they never had the opportunity to know and understand God. This is also where uh, we, why we believe that uh, young men or young ladies like Zach, uh, Zach Ray, uh, who was born with a very severe case of cerebral palsy, who was nonverbal, who had the mental capacity of a very young child, will be in heaven because he never had the opportunity to truly know and understand his state as well as who God was. We see this in Genesis when uh, Adam and Eve walked in the garden in the Garden of Eden with God until they sinned in the garden and then they were removed. Then they truly understand it understood. It wasn't until after that sin, after that point in their lives where they truly their eyes were opened and they understood good and evil that they were punished and that death entered the world. I see this in Gideon's son because Gideon, uh, Gideon's son is, is fearful, but he doesn't know why, or he doesn't know why he shouldn't be. The men of Israel that Gideon has already come against, <clears throat> the 22,000, the men of Succoth, the men of Penuel, they are full-grown men who fully know what has already happened. They know why they should have faith in God. They know that they should be following God, and yet they're refusing. Gideon's son just simply is afraid because he doesn't know the outcome. He doesn't know what he should be doing. Because of this lack of faith, he's not punished. He's shown mercy. But the men of Succoth and the men of Penuel, they don't have that excuse. And in verse number 13, the Bible tells us that Gideon returned to Succoth with the two kings of Midian. That He takes Ziba and Zalmunna back and he says, Here are Ziba and Zalmunna. Here are the men that you were so afraid of. He seeks out a young man of the men of Succoth and inquires of them what the elders of Succoth look like. And the young man describes to him what 77 men look like. Three score and 17 men. 77 men that refused to help Gideon because they were too afraid. And Gideon, the Bible tells us that he took the thorns of the wilderness and briars and he taught the men of Succoth. He taught them. We have to remember that more times than not, learning is only accomplished through pain. Learning only occurs because there is pain in our lives. God is teaching these men through this pain that they have to have faith in Him. That's why God had allowed Midian to come in in the first place. And then... I still, when Israel is praying to God and seeking his help and seeking his intervention, when, when God is right in the middle of performing it, they become fearful and weak. It's no different than when Christ walked this earth and we see Peter as, as uh, Christ is 
calming the storm as he, or sorry, as he's walking on the water through the middle of the storm and the disciples are in the boat trying to row as hard as they can to get to the other side and they see Christ walking on the storm, walking on the sea and they, they fear because they think he's a spirit. And he says to them, it's me, be not afraid. And they doubt and they, and they said, you know, if it's you, Peter says, if it's you, then bid me to come on the water. And, and Peter steps out on the water right in the middle of God performing this great miracle, right in the middle of God ask, or God answering Peter's request. If it's you, bid me to come. And God says, come. Christ says, come. Right in the middle of all of that, Peter takes his eyes off Christ and begins to see the wind and the waves, and he sinks. How often do we miss a tremendous blessing in our life because, yeah, we're in the middle of a hard time. We're in the middle of something that we're just so desperately seeking God's help for. And unfortunately, sometimes when we seek God's help, the path becomes harder. God, God doesn't usually take us down the easy path. For example, yesterday, as, as we went, uh, you know, we only had to take a couple of turns. We went over here to Highway 65, took Highway 65 all the way down to Highway 5, took Highway 5 right to the church. Just a couple of roads, really easy to remember. That was the simple way. There's about a thousand other ways to go that are much more complicated. If I had asked God to take me because I desperately needed to get there, there's a good chance God would have taken me to several other places. As I was talking to the pastors yesterday afternoon, I was talking about some of the things in my life that, that God has done. And, and uh, I was talking to Brother Current as well about the, the building project. And, and they had, they've just lost their um, HVAC contractor and they've got another one found, but that one's going to be a little more expensive. And I reminded him that it's going to be worth it. Whether it's worth it because the building is better and it's a, more of a blessing for the staff and the missionaries, or whether it's worth it because there's somebody in that other company that needs to know Christ. It's going to be worth it. There's a reason that God is taking them down that harder path. Yet, we so often fail to have the faith that we need to follow Him down that harder path. I think of, you know, when we had our fun time on the side of the road in Tennessee. And I think of how I could have reacted. I, I could have gotten mad. I could have thrown a fit. I could have just given up and went home. But God brought us to that specific point for that one man. And, and then when we did finally get to West Virginia, I, I mean, talk about a mess. We couldn't even get a post in the ground. But that whole trip was such a blessing just for the fact that that one man now knows and understands that he is God's child and will never not be again. Gideon taught the men of Succoth. Gideon goes on and goes returns to Penuel and fulfills his prophecy there. He, he just tears down the tower.
again, this is a stark contrast to what he does to his son. His son is, is given mercy. And this in itself is a tremendous foreshadowing. We understand as believers, as Christians, that God is going to take us out of this world one day. The Bible tells us that uh, we will hear the trump, that Christ will return in the clouds, and those that, are, uh, those that are alive here on earth will rise to meet Him in the air. and uh, Those that were, have already passed on will rise to meet Him in the air. We believe this is the rapture of the church. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit will be removed from this earth. And a time of great tribulation will begin. And at the end of that great tribulation, the millennial reign of Christ will begin. And we understand that during those times, during that uh, 1,007 years, no one that is here on earth that has had the opportunity to know and understand God, to truly know Him, will have the opportunity to get saved. They will be blinded. They will not be able to understand the gospel. But there will still be children, people born here during that time and right before that time that have never had that opportunity. And they will have a chance. It's going to end in one of two places. If they refuse, if they come to the point where they are going to be accountable and they truly understand who God is and they refuse, they're going to go to the great white throne judgment. If they get saved and understand and, and accept what God has done, they're going to go to the judgment seat of Christ. At the great white throne judgment, the only thing left from there, the only verdict is guilty. And they're cast into a lake of fire for all eternity. Where there's burning, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. Where the worm dieth not. Where there's pain for the rest of their life. And then they will know. I've heard many people talk about what they think the worst part of hell is. And I truly believe that the very worst part about hell, and I'm so thankful that I will never have to be there, is that the people that are there are going to know that they're there because they refused the Lord. That there's no one else to blame but themselves. You see, so many of us today, when we get punished, when we, when we have that pain in our lives, we try to find somebody else to blame. And it makes us feel better because, oh, it's not my fault. I'm perfect. It, it's, it's Wyatt's fault. Wyatt's the one that ran the stop sign, even though he was sitting in the passenger seat. Or Brother Grant distracted me as I was going through town and, you know, I ran into that car. We're not going to have that opportunity anymore. Those that are going to end up in hell for all eternity are going to know <coughs> that it is completely their fault and no one else's. The men of Succoth, the men of Penuel realized this as they saw their lack of faith and Gideon punished them. I pray today I know the majority of us in here are saved. That there is absolutely no way that any of us will end up in hell. But I pray today that as 
we live our lives and as we walk in faith for Christ, that we don't lose our faith. That we don't have those times of stumbling. That we don't miss out on an opportunity to help someone else off of that train that's bound for hell. I pray today that we live a life that is just faithfully taking one step after another, even though we're tired, even though we're weak, even though we don't feel like we can go on. We just continue to follow God and do God's will.